Hi, I'm Steve Addison and this is the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're talking to Troy Cooper, movement pioneer in South Florida, where he and his family are involved in multiplying disciples and churches. Troy began by sharing how he came to know Christ. I was born into a family that was very far from God. My mom's mother was a Holocaust survivor and uh, moved to the States and married a soldier. And uh, so my mom grew up in a home with abuse and um, and there even the occult. My grandma got involved in the occult. And so it was just a very broken home, a lot of brokenness. Same with my father. Uh, his home was, was very, uh, a lot of brokenness. So they brought that into their marriage. And uh, their circle of friends were all their siblings and, and cousins. And they used to just basically party and have jobs and had kids. And there was a, a man who was a, a school administrator. He wasn't a full-time pastor or missionary. He shared the gospel with one of my relatives my Aunt Delana, and she believed. And then she and her husband came to faith. And they began to share with that community of friends, including my parents. And, and one by one, the households came to faith. And eventually my parents did. And I saw the change in their life when I was, I was young. I was a five-year-old boy. But I saw the difference in them and heard the gospel and believed. And uh, so we... we You're just five. Yeah, I was five years old. But I remember the... Um, just the, I guess, the darkness in our home and how it changed my parents to where they became loving and, and soft, gentle, I guess. Uh, but looking back on it, uh, my aunt was a person of peace. And uh, God used her to bring the gospel to the whole community. So from that point on, I grew up in a Christian home, went to Christian school and uh, Christian university. And it wasn't until I... I I went to Liberty University in Virginia. That's where I met my wife, Rachel. And um, she was a missionary kid from Japan. And uh, after I graduated from college, they invited me to go over to Japan on a mission trip. And I was a pre-med major, so I was on my way to, to graduate school and then med school. And uh, But, you know, at um, you know, 23 years old, Going over to Japan and, and, and for the first time in my life being used by God in some way, like I was actually entrusted with ministry, it, it just, it was intoxicating. It was incredible. It was just like, man, I can't believe that God could use me. I want to do this. So we're in Japan for a year and the Lord really uh, used that time to uh, help us learn more about the process. And, um, and he also, uh, at that time showed us that he wanted to, to use our children up to that point. It was mostly me, uh, as the youth pastor and my wife and children weren't really involved. And, um, so my wife was my interpreter in Japan, so she had to be closely involved in what I was doing. And, and one day she asked me to, uh, take the boys with me on a prayer walk. So I took them, and we were prayer walking, and, and I began to hear them pray their own prayers. Like they weren't using words that I was using. And and praying boldly. And I realized this six-year-old and this eight-year-old actually went to school with these kids in the community. 
So God was speaking through them, and he taught me, hey, um, I want to use your whole family. So, so that was a game changer. And another thing that we learned in Japan, um, God just broke our hearts for lostness while we were there. And then he redirected us back to the United States. We're really praying through the four corners of the U.S. where most lostness is. And we were wanting to be a part of a team. And so God answered both of those. Uh, the first one was uh, Jeff Sundell contacted me and asked me if I'd be interested in being part of, at the time it was the 5550 vision, but it's, it's grown into the, the no place left vision. Um, just being a part of going after no place left in North America. And then we got a call from a church down in, in South Florida uh, where my nephew, who was 16 at the time, he was multiplying disciples and groups in his high school. And, uh, and their church took notice of that and asked us, would we come down to South Florida as missionaries to come help catalyze uh, movements down there? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it was through my 16-year-old nephew that they actually took notice. And uh, so this it was Covenant Fellowship Baptist Church and Pastor Matt Price uh, said, we will we'll love on your family. Um, we'll provide a, a place for you to train and we'll just release you to the community. And so um, we prayed and, and God just opened up that door. So we moved down uh, to Stewart, Florida, mm-hmm. which is right in the midst of a community that's 96% unchurched. And recently, according to George Barna, we're smack dab in the middle of the, the highest population in the U.S. of never-churched people. And so you've got these beautiful beaches, and um, it's just a lovely place to live, but a lot of lostness. Yeah. And so our uh, original strategy was to, to go down. We believe there's two fronts. Um, you know, there's uh, lost people, and so we, we share the gospel with lost people, and if if they believe, then we disciple them to obey Jesus, including the Great Commission, uh, with with a, a strategy to multiply disciples and churches. But we also see another front, and that's the local church, Christ's Bride. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to, to make ourselves available for churches and leaders and organizations um, that, that have a vision for lostness, that have a need for training, uh, to provide that for them, some training and coaching. And so... As we went down there, uh, we, we started training uh, in Stewart, and immediately the first training, we saw 33 people come to faith as, as church members were equipped and mobilized into the community. And um, it was amazing to watch them just come alive because they, they were thinking, ah, oh, people won't want to hear this. And there was a group, you know, we train them and say, now go share. And uh, there was a group that went to Walmart. And it was half of them were teenagers at nine o'clock on a Friday night. And within an hour, they led over. I think it was about 11 people came to faith at a Walmart. Um, So uh, we started to see people coming to Christ. Um, What I was really surprised by, Steve, was how many churches and leaders were interested in being trained. Um, you know, we, as, as catalysts, we kind of posture ourselves as we engage churches, you know, we're watching for where is God working? Where is he, um, where is he moving? Looking for some movement indicators like, um, 
you know, vision and is there a burden for lostness? Are they, are they making attempts? Mm -hmm. Do they have a vision that's bigger than just growing their church, but wanting to, to reach their community? And, um, and when we find those kind of indicators, then we, we feel like our role is to, uh, learn from what God is doing there to serve it like crazy and to pray for it. And so God uh, connected me with uh, Steve Wright and Jimmy Scroggins at uh, First Baptist Church of West Palm. It's now known as Family Church. Mm-hmm. And, and I saw those movement indicators. They had a God-sized vision to see 100 churches started. Um, they were making a lot of attempts. Uh, Jimmy is actually the one who developed the Three Circles gospeling tool. So they're passionate about trying to reach lost people with the gospel. Um, and and they were they were going hard after it. Um, they had their people were uh, praying for lost people. They had filled out little cards and they'd get down on their knees at the beginning of a service and just pray for their lost neighbors and family members. And uh, it, it was amazing. Um, but at the same time, they were they were hungry for some training. And I think what they were really looking for was a process. And so we went in and, and we served them by providing training and coaching for their, uh, their team. And, but it was, it was, I want to reiterate, God was already at work in them, moving them down this path. And, uh, so we were just doing our best to stay out of the way. Um, within, uh, I think they really launched their training in, uh, in the fall of last year. And within six months, by God's grace, they saw, their baptisms from the previous year had tripled. They saw over 250 baptisms. Um, their attendance went up by 40%, and uh, their giving was stabilized. And the reason why that's significant is most of the growth was new believers, and uh, their giving was stabilized. Well, so, What were they doing for discipleship? Was that just uh, more people in the auditorium, or what, what was happening in terms of those new believers growing? No, they, they started using, uh, George, what we're using is the, the Seven Commands of Christ, uh, which was a discipleship set that George Patterson developed for in, in movements in Honduras. And uh, what, what Jeff and the guys in North India were using, it's what most of, uh, not all, there's a, there's a number of different um, discipleship sets like Yings and, and Gary Stumps and, and others that are that are seeing fruit of uh, multiplication. We just happen to be using the seven commands. Mm-hmm. So people so are being discipled in, in obedience-orientated discipleship. That's correct. Uh, and are most of the people joining the, the large church or is there a mixture of what's happening there? Yeah, I'd say there's a mixture. Um, at this time, their their primary vision is to multiply what they call missional communities. And so the majority of them are, are attending. Uh, one of, They've got seven different uh, campuses that each have their own pastors. They've planted six different churches in the community. And uh, each of those churches are church planting churches. Mm-hmm. But their strategy for saturating the community with the gospel is mobilizing the church to share the gospel, start missional communities that will multiply, and then eventually um, churches. Great. But they are, um, the baptisms are, are they're, they're doing baptisms together on the beach, but they're letting the, the person who led the person to faith do the baptism. Mm-hmm. 
Um, they're entrusting the discipleship to the believer. And uh, so it's, it's phenomenal to see. And the vision that God's given them, they're very open-handed. They're working with other churches and other denominations. Uh, and more recently, uh, we had a mid-level there in April with about 130 people in attendance. And uh, the senior pastor, Jimmy Scroggins, tasked vision for that we need to see thousands of churches and millions of new disciples if we're going to reach South Florida. So that's, that's a God-sized vision that, that we will die for, mm. uh, that we will, we will serve. So this is quite a, a large uh, church mm-hmm. that's come on board. They haven't had to reinvent their whole model of ministry, but they've, they've plugged the gaps in terms of mobilizing people to share the to connect, share the gospel, make disciples, and then multiply groups and churches. That's correct. And I think a big shift is they're handing, they're casting vision for all their church members. Um, and their their phrase is, you know, we've gathered as the church in here today. Now go be the church out there. Hmm. And um, they're telling them, you guys are church. Go be church. And go engage lostness. This is not the role of the pastor only. This is the role of every disciple of Jesus. So what have you learned just watching the, the transition there at that mm-hmm. church? Well, uh, number one is just God is at work through the bride of Christ. It's easy as catalysts to uh, just kind of move beyond the bride and, um, but I, I, I really believe God is at work in and through the Bride of Christ uh, to engage the lost community. Um, it is a, a slower work. Um, I, I would say you. I've learned patience with that process. I think early on in, um, in catalytic work, I was very impatient and uh, would get frustrated with leadership when they wouldn't move forward and um, have learned just to just to be patient. These, these men and, and, and leaders have got, they've been entrusted to shepherd the sheep. And so they have that responsibility on top of a burden to engage lostness. So um, I think coming in in a role of serving uh, with more compassion for those leaders. Um, and what, that, does, what does your role look like then hmm. in, in being a catalyst for change in, in a church where you're not the leader? Yeah. Well, you've got to posture yourself. Well, I had to posture myself as a servant. And what that looked like was um, if they would invite me to a meeting, uh, I would go to the meeting and sit and listen and speak when I was asked to speak. And I think um, that built trust with the leadership. And um, now I would preface that with I saw God at work there, so I knew it was worth worth going to. Um, but I didn't show up with the guy with all the answers. Mm. Uh, you know, just went in as a listener, and um, I pray. We prayed like crazy for them. We pursued the staff. I would I would set up. You know, once I got permission and they gave me a seat at the table, um, I would pursue them lunches and coffees just to get to know them personally and their families, and um, just to develop some trust and for them to get to know us. And um, and then we would, when they would ask, we, we would share. I would cast vision. I think a big part of our role is to cast vision and, um, you know, keeping the, the statistics, the brutal facts of lostness in front of them, but also sharing stories of what God is doing 
not just all, all over the world, but, but in the United States. And because we're practicing in their backyard, we're able to share stories of fruit from their backyard. Like, hey, this is happening here. Just last week, we saw a man come to faith and started a church in his home. Uh, we had, I think, one of the most helpful vision casts is sharing uh, stories of, of what uh, our family's doing, what our children uh, are doing. And so they're hearing those stories from the harvest uh, in their backyard, and they start to believe, wow, God, God's doing this here. Uh, and then um, they ask to be trained, and so we provide the training for them. But the goal of training is to help raise them up as trainers, and so that's what they're doing. They're the ones who are leading the trainings. Um, and, and you uh, also um, taking them, um, you know, taking them out into the field. Mm-hmm. So the the training, it's both sort of. I don't want to call it the classroom, but it's both, you know, in the classroom and it's out in the field. You're you're taking people out with you, giving them a taste for it. That's correct. I mean, you go to what they invite you to. So it started off. They asked me to come to four staff meetings in a row in April. And uh, and I went in and cast vision and showed them the four fields process. And Jeff Sundell flew in for one of those and uh, just shared stories from the harvest. And but I think that initial um, four weeks in the office, uh, I was able to get some of those guys out into the harvest in their own um you know, their community where they were serving. And I think that was a big game changer for some of them to uh, actually see, wow, there's people that are just waiting out here. Mm-hmm. This isn't rocket science. Um, you know, and as Fred Campbell says, just removing those barriers, getting them out in the harvest was, was a key component of that. What have you learned just watching um, Jimmy in his role? He, he didn't try to just uh, sink the ship. Um, and, and do a quick about face. And he, what's unique there is Jimmy is the senior pastor and then Steve Wright as the, um, the, the head of discipleship or the executive pastor. Um, they have a very close relationship. Uh, so, you know, I can see the enemy trying to divide them, but they're very close. And they are unified in their vision. And they say that, you know, Jimmy has the air war where he's, you know, in the pulpit, but also has a position within his denomination. And Steve is of the ground war. He's, he's running, moving things forward on the ground. Well, in, in a lot of churches where we're working, you've got like an associate pastor, like a missions pastor or uh, a youth pastor, somebody else that's, that's, that's trying to drive this forward, yet the senior pastor doesn't buy in yet. Hmm. Well, God gave the vision through Jimmy Scroggins, and then he invited Steve in to help him roll it out. Uh, so I think uh, his humility of, of, of asking for help and um, being willing to hand over authority and responsibility to others um, has been huge. But at the same time, he, he's casting vision. Like when he speaks, hmm. people listen. And so as he's sharing stories from the harvest, as he's demonstrating this himself, as he and his family have committed to prayer walk in their community and share the gospel with all of their neighbors. Uh, that goes a long way with your people of like, I don't just expect you guys to do this. I'm doing this myself. But at the same time, he knows as he's shepherding these people, he can't be the one, the primary person to drive this thing forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he, I think what's happened there is 
he's recognized the, the need for apostolic leadership, and um, and he's deferring to that. What's being unleashed here, from what you're saying, is is it's God's people. That's right. And they're becoming the foot soldiers. They're becoming the ones that are both doing this in their neighborhoods mm-hmm. and also able to train and release others. That's um, correct. Uh, one of the very first people we trained in one of the group, first groups we trained, uh, a mom, her name was Teresa, and she had never shared with anybody and had been a Christian for 20 years. And so she comes to... Uh, this training for, for parents of the youth group. I was a youth pastor at the time. And she felt like God wanted her to share with her family. And um, so like, okay. So we came back the week two and she hadn't shared with them. So like, all right, you know, uh, make sure you do it this next week. She comes back week three. She had not shared with them. And so we, um, we had to love Teresa and the people that she was God was prompting her to share with by pressing in and say, what, what's going on there? You know, like God's clearly calling you to do this and, and you're not doing this. Like, like, why not? And she said, you don't understand. She's like, my family is like a bad talk show episode, man. She's like, I got my one. (laughs) Um, Sorry. I got my one. Oh, that's all right. right. It was just it, scratching. Making noise. Really? It's all right. I need to get a microphone. Okay. I've got my one. Um, my mom uh, just found out. We just found out my mom had committed adultery with my dad's best friend. I just, my sister is addicted to drugs. The other one is addicted to alcohol. Two of them are going through divorce. And I'm just supposed to share the gospel with them. And we said, hey, first of all, God's the one who told you to do that. And... Um, are you relying on you or him? She's like, I'm relying on me. So we prayed and she came back the next week and she's like, you're never going to believe what happened. She said, I went home and I invited my mom to come over. And then my sisters came, I shared the gospel. They repented and believed. And so I began to disciple them. And then they wanted the husbands all wanted to hear from my husband. So my husband started looking at the Bible with them. Uh, including my dad, who just found out his wife you know, has committed adultery. And the gospel began to bring transformation to them. Well, I'm so excited about this that I've got lunch the next day with my good friend. And instead of talking about normal things, I cast vision. I trained her. She went home, and she shared with her neighbor and led her neighbor to Christ. And she started a Bible study in her community. And then my husband goes to the fire department where he's volunteering, and he starts a Bible study with the firefighters and trains some of those guys. And so here's this woman that um, God loves her and wanted to use her as his ambassador. Uh, And yet her disobedience was keeping her from enjoying him in that way. It's like, look what God had waiting for you on the other side of obedience. Not only for her, but for all those people that he loved and wanted to hear the message of Jesus, the good news of the gospel. So... It's just one example of how believers are waiting to be mobilized and lost people are desperately waiting to hear the gospel. One of the things that's quite distinctive about your role as a movement catalyst is the way in which 
you bring your whole family yes. into into that. Um, just talk to us a bit about, yeah, how how you're on mission as a family. Yeah. Well, we are. Um, my wife and I. Uh, we've been married for almost 17 years. We have six children. Our oldest is 12. Our youngest is 10 months old. And for 12 years, I did not include my my family in our ministry. When I was a youth pastor, and it was while we were in Japan that God showed me he wanted to use uh, our whole family. And, um, I mean, literally, I have my children um, begging me, Dad, we need to obey Jesus. We want to go share the gospel. You know, they came to a training, and I had them help me with some administrative things and, and their mom wasn't able to pick them up. So they stuck around and I'm like, yeah, go, you know, go color or something. And they were eight and 10 at the time. And they were like, dad, we, we want to go share with everybody else. I'm like, no, you're going to go start a cult. Um, you know, you're not going to, you're going to get it wrong. And, um, but I finally was like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll take you. And within three conversations at a mall, my eight year old son led a woman to Christ and I realized, wow, Holy Spirit, you are working through them. Mm-hmm. So I want to preface it with that was something God has had to teach me mm-hmm. uh, through my children. And I see the Holy Spirit at work in them. So um, we've been very intentional about doing this as a family. One, because we, we believe that we're obeying Jesus in that. But, but two, um, we didn't want ministry to be one more thing that pulls dad away from the family. Um, so, um, yeah, so whether it's, you know, train, you know, event trainings, I'll kind of give them the option to come if they want to come, but a lot of times they like to come and, um, and if they're there, we'll use them. Um, recently, uh, we were out in the harvest, uh, looking for people of peace and there was a YWAM missionary who was visiting from Texas and he said, I want to learn how to do this. So I put him with my 10 year old son and they got out. They got into a home. Um, they, you know, the way they did, they knocked the door and offered prayer. And the man there was—he had just been in a coma for three weeks and said he should have died. And he didn't know um, why God saved him, and so he knew why they were there. So Malachi shared the gospel using three circles, and the man repented and believed. He immediately uh, showed him from Second Corinthians five seventeen to twenty one his identity. And challenged him to uh, to share with others and equipped him, and he started a church in that man's home that day. So it's not just oh, this is cool to use the kids; like they're doing it. I mean, they're doing a lot of times better than than we are because they keep it so simple. So and so, there are times you just go out as a family in your own neighborhood, mm-hmm. meeting people, knocking on doors, mm-hmm. praying, blessing them. Mm-hmm. And then opening up a conversation that leads to the gospel. And you do that as a family. We do that as a family. That's correct. Mm. All all six of us, we we do draw attention. Uh, But the nice thing, too, is because because they've done this, um, when we have other groups come, we can have them train other people by taking them out in the harvest. Yeah. Like, for example, we were in... uh, this country of England recently mm-hmm. uh, um, with this uh, crazy, crazy missionary and his lovely wife. And um, was he an Australian by any chance? He was. Yeah, he was. He was a good bloke. Um, you know, Oz, Oz rules football all the way. 
uh, rugby, sorry. Um, and, uh, but Malachi was with a local pastor and, um, he was there to help, uh, equip this pastor, uh, to go door to door and see that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Well, it was really funny in this instance. Um, we had this downpour of rain and, um, so we went to the local pub and we're, we're in there in the pub and we're, we're talking to the, the bartender in the pub there. And Malachi goes and just shares the, the gospel with this bartender, um, you know, right there on the bar. And uh, the man said he was far from God, but that he'd grown up in church. So then the pastor who's with us took over the conversation. And, and you know, Malachi goes back to, you know, hey, can I get some candy? Like he just... He doesn't see the significance of how God is using him. Um, but because he's done this so many times as a family, hmm. he's able to train people anywhere. God is faithful to, if we obey him and what he's calling us to, he's faithful to use us and to produce fruit and to teach us as we go. And I'm discovering that um, down here in South Florida. We discovered that in Japan, Indianapolis, anywhere we've served. Uh, I'm also discovering that the harvest is plentiful. God, his promises are true. I couldn't believe when we came down here how many lost people were waiting to hear the gospel. They're just waiting. You know, 96% unchurched, number one population ever church. This is going to be so hard. And yet they're just waiting. And the thing that was equally surprising was how many believers are just waiting to be trained. To find out more about what the Coopers are up to, make sure you visit their website at coopersonamission.com. There'll be a link to it on the blog. 